I'm here in Manchester, New Hampshire, and people around these parts know that the Red Arrow is the 24-7 go-to spot for great diner food. The Red Arrow Diner on Lowell Street is more than a century old, and along with celebrities like the Food Network's Guy Fieri, its quirky charm attracts plenty of locals and first-timers. Red Arrow rookies get the bell. And I got Red Arrow first-timer in this house. This person's never been here before. Let's welcome them! In a presidential election season, the Red Arrow Diner is the go-to spot for candidates. They chow down on diner food. They try to look presidential. They try to look relatable. The goal is to sway the first in the nation primary voters. Rick, is this your first time here? It is. Can I have your attention, please? You see this man right here, Rick Santorum? He is a first-time Red Arrow virgin from That's Republican Rick Santorum participating in the signature Red Arrow Diner tradition, a bell ringing for a first-time visitor. Santorum visited the diner during his 2012 bid for president. He had just won the Iowa caucuses, but Mitt Romney won the New Hampshire primary that year and then ended up losing the general election to Barack Obama. Some first-timers fare better than others. We have a Red Arrow version right here, Donald Trump from New York. Let's give him a welcome, Donald! Donald Trump visited the diner in 2016 when he swept the state primary with a double-digit win over other Republicans. New Hampshire holding the country's first presidential primary is a tradition that's almost as old as the Red Arrow Diner. But the race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination has been anything but traditional. And now less than three days from the New Hampshire primary, Ron DeSantis has dropped out of the race. Coming up, we'll hear from two NPR reporters on the ground in New Hampshire about the final hours of campaigning and what it means that this is now a two-candidate race. From NPR, I'm Scott Detrow. It's Sunday, January 21st. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore. Jump into a new perspective on performance apparel. Viore makes products that stand the test of time and hope to inspire others to live vibrant, healthy lives, empowering your best life in clothing that can be worn for just about any activity from running to yoga. Visit viore.com NPR to receive 20% off your first purchase and enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture Card. Earn unlimited 2x miles on every purchase. Plus, earn unlimited 5x miles on hotels and rental cars booked through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Support for NPR and the following message come from Washington Wise. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. It's Consider This from NPR. In just a few days, the New Hampshire primary will be in the history books. But in a Republican presidential race that has been weird from the start, another big twist. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis has now decided to suspend his 2024 presidential bid. The race is now between former President Donald Trump and former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley. NPR's Franco Ordonez and Tamara Keith are on the ground in Manchester, New Hampshire, for the final weekend of campaigning. And they join me now 
to give us a sense of where things stand with these latest developments and what this could mean for the Republican nominating contest. Hey there. Hello, Scott. Hey, Scott. So let's start with the breaking news. Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis ends his campaign for the presidency today. He bet it all on Iowa. He finished a distant second. And up until today's announcement, he had really almost ignored New Hampshire, focusing on the next big contest, South Carolina. Franco, even in the recent context of DeSantis's fade, this is this is a pretty shocking ending for somebody who entered the race with a sense that he could supplant Trump. Yeah, Scott, I mean, it was really an amazing collapse just from a year ago. I mean, he was supposed to be the heir apparent to Trump. He led in some head-to-head polls. I mean, he was raising a ton of money. He had a great pitch that he was he had Trump's policies, but not the rough edges, not the drama, not the palace intrigue. But DeSantis's campaign, uh, as we all know, just had so many issues, so many problems. Specifically, he just never felt comfortable with voters. It's clear to me that a majority of Republican primary voters want to give Donald Trump another chance. I signed a pledge to support the Republican nominee, and I will honor that pledge. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he banked everything on Iowa. He went to all the 99 counties. But Trump, you know, really essentially destroyed him there by 30 percent in points. And he made no investments in New Hampshire. So he really had nowhere to go. So, Tam, a familiar script here. Uh, Donald Trump spends a year or so really attacking a candidate, ridiculing him, often personally. Then that candidate gets drops out of the race and endorses Trump, but clears the field at the same time for Nikki Haley, who now remains as the only Trump challenger. Any early sense which remaining candidate this could help more? Well, Ron DeSantis is much more of a candidate in the Trump mold than Nikki Haley is in the Trump mold. So um, it it looks very much like Donald Trump, the former president, is much more likely to benefit from DeSantis getting out of the race. A new University of New Hampshire poll out today says only about 30 percent of DeSantis's voters had Haley as their second choice. Um, so this does become a two-person race. This is what she said she she wanted, but it doesn't really help her, um, though it will clearly define the perilousness of her path forward, the difficulty yeah. of her path, um, because uh, all of the polls in this state indicate that she is trailing Trump. DeSantis getting out isn't going to change that. And we're going to get back to Haley's path forward and the, and, the, and the race between Haley and Trump in a moment. But Tam, first, like, let's just zoom out a little bit. In the video that DeSantis posted dropping out of the race, he did take one quick swipe at Nikki Haley, but he really talked about Trump like Trump is the last candidate standing, like he's the de facto nominee already. And that is the latest twist in a race that has felt so strange, so different in so many different ways. Tam, you've covered a lot of New Hampshire primaries at this point. I know you've had the the maple bacon at, at the Red Arrow Diner <laughs> a few times now, as have I. But I mean, as you can, as you were in the state this weekend, just how different did New Hampshire feel? Well, the legendary mug of bacon lives on. However, the the feel of the New Hampshire primary is just different. And and in several ways. One, there isn't this large field of candidates. I'm thinking about 2016. It was still a pretty crowded field on the Republican side and quite competitive on the Democratic side. Um, Going back to to, uh, 2020, uh, it was super competitive among the Democrats and there were a ton of candidates still in. And what that meant is that there were events all over the state Mm -hmm. and voters could get real uh, close contact with the candidates. Uh, In New Hampshire this week, it was like a ratio of 10 to 1 of 
of journalists to uh, to real voters. Wow. Um, and it was hard for the candidate to even get to uh, to even get to the voters because there were so many reporters, you know, like falling all over each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a very different situation because the field is so small and one of the candidates is not even doing the traditional New Hampshire thing. Former President Trump is holding rallies. Uh, he's not, uh, you know, going to, to the Red Arrow or other diners and, and you know, spending time uh, getting to know people. Yeah. I, I talked to a voter who said, you know, I, I believe that I have to meet every single person before I vote on them. Uh, well, um, that's just not the experience that's happening this yeah. time. Well, let's talk about Haley specifically. We have talked all week about how New Hampshire may be just a do-or-die state for Haley. If she can't beat Trump here with the amount of independent voters in the state, with the poll numbers here compared to other states, it just seems unlikely to happen. Did either of you get that sense of urgency from Haley herself at her events this weekend? Yeah. At one point, I overheard her telling a voter, quote, we have a country to save. We have to get it done. Um, And certainly her campaign is dumping money into the state and and her allied super PACs. So uh, Haley and her allies have spent $31 million on ads in the state. They are blanketing the airwaves, uh, including an ad from uh, the, the popular Republican governor of the state, Governor Sununu, saying, Haley is the only one who can stop Trump. Let's change the narrative of this race. Let's do it right here, right now. Um, so there is that urgency. She's mm-hmm. spending... Uh, on ads in the state uh, about twice as much as Trump but um but there but, but the applause at her events is polite whereas the applause at a Trump rally is the same big roar that you always see at a Trump yeah. rally Frank, yeah, I'll just I'll just add that you know I mean while those while those numbers are much smaller at Haley's events I will I will say that the people I spoke to are definitely feel the urgency they're taking it extremely serious and they absolutely understand the magnitude of their vote on Tuesday I spoke with Mike Kornblum of Londonderry he told me this vote would not only determine the nominee but likely determine the future of the Republican Party. I think it's critical. I think we're looking at very, very different people in Donald Trump versus virtually anybody else you would compare him to. He's a unique character. And depending on your point of view about that, I think he's either a savior or an incredible threat. And, you know, just to build on what Tams was saying about the crowds, I mean, I've talked to a lot of veterans of the New Hampshire primaries who told me that, you know, there at this time on Sunday before the primary, there are thousands attending these rallies. You're not seeing thousands um, at a Haley rally right now. Mm-hmm. And that just puts so much more weight on these independent voters, or as they're called here in New Hampshire, the undeclared uh, voters, because they, as we've reported, are allowed to vote in either the Republican primary or the Democratic primary, but they're likely to pick the Republican primary because that's where the action is. Uh, um, and that's how that's yeah. what Haley's going to need to win. In the couple of minutes we have left, I do want to touch on two, two themes that have emerged from the campaigning this weekend. Franco, it did jump out to me that even as Trump has this big lead, he seems to have fueled feel threatened enough by Haley over the past few days that he's returned to a tried and true Trump playbook of painting his uh, opponent as un-American. 
Yeah, I mean, it's really nothing new for Trump. You know, his attacks are particularly cutting online where he's kind of mangled Haley's name, highlighting, you know, her Sikh Indian heritage. He's also actually promoted these false claims that she's not eligible to run for president because her parents were not citizens when she was born. But as of course, she was born, she was born in the United States and therefore she's a naturalized citizen and she's eligible to be president. As you note, I mean, this is not uh, necessarily a new thing for Trump. I mean, he's obviously, he cut his teeth uh, politically, kind of backing those birther conspiracy theater theories, pardon me, against former President Barack Obama. And it's really just, you know, lies uh, that many saw as a racist dog whistle. Yeah. Tam, another another moment happened this weekend, and, and Haley attacked Trump for it. And this is something that the Biden campaign seized on based on the narrative of the, the already happening and in many ways general election. Tell us about this mix-up that, that, that Trump seemed to, to mix uh, Nikki Haley up with former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Yeah, it happened Friday night at a smaller rally that Trump held in Concord. And he was delivering one of his usual rants about January 6th, the Nancy Pelosi. But then he said Nikki Haley instead of Pelosi. By the way, they never report the crowd on January 6th. You know, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. You know, they did. You know, they destroyed all of the information, all of the evidence, everything deleted and destroyed all of it, all of it because of. Lots of things like Nikki Haley is in charge of security. It's a lot of falsehoods there in addition to the wrong Mm -hmm. name. Haley responded to that uh, saying that, uh, you know, essentially uh, Trump uh, may not be fit to serve. We can't have someone else that we question whether they're mentally fit to do this. We can't. Now, the and that was one of her biggest applause lines. Now, the Trump campaign is downplaying the glitch. And just to put a whole, you know, an exclamation point on that whole cycle, Trump then at his rally last night claimed or boasted or whatever you want to call it that he had gotten another cognitive test and aced it. Echoes of, of a Trump news cycle of many years ago there. Tam, I'll, I'll, I'll put this to you. If, if Trump wins on Tuesday in New Hampshire, is that effectively it for this campaign? I, yes. I, I don't see uh, how it isn't over after that. Nikki Haley is promising that she plans to compete, uh, not just in New Hampshire, but in South Carolina and build momentum from there. Uh, but the polls show her way behind in South Carolina. And Trump has been boasting about all the support he has from the uh, Republican establishment in her home state. If you want to be able to get the nomination, you need to win a state. That's NPR's Tamara Keith and Franco Ordonez covering the New Hampshire primary for us. Thanks to both of you. Thanks, Scott. You're welcome. This episode was produced by Avery Keatley. It was edited by Jeanette Woods, Courtney Dorning, and Megan Pratz. Our executive producer is Sammy Yenigan. And for more election coverage without all of the noise, check out the other show I host, All Things Considered. Every afternoon, we bring you closer to the issues affecting you both nationally and locally. Listen live on your local NPR station or stream us live at npr.org slash allthingsconsidered. Consider this from NPR. I'm Scott Detra. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as the Black experience, you'll hear it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from Washington Wise. Decisions made in Washington can affect your portfolio every day. But what policy changes should investors be watching? Washington Wise is an original podcast for investors from Charles Schwab that unpacks the stories making news in Washington and how it may affect your finances and portfolio. Listen at schwab.com slash Washington Wise. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.